On this week's episode of Office Hours with Carp and Loge, we talk about Dark Brandon and Dark Brandon and also Dark Brandon. Because he just re released some student loans and from a comms perspective, there's a lot to learn there and a lot to celebrate. Also, Peter Loge has some terrible ideas for slogans. Tune in. Ladies and gentlemen of the pod, uh, welcome back. Welcome to season three, episode one, once more into the abyss, <laughs> third season of Office Hours with Carphone Loge. I am, as always, your co-host, Peter Loge, an associate professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at the George Washington University and a strategic communications consultant. I am joined, as always, by Dave Carp, also an associate professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University, celebrating my 10th year teaching these same classes to SMPA students. The trouble with college students is they keep staying the same age while my jokes get older. So I, um, I have to, so do you, I have to ask. Once into the abyss, who comes up with these subtitles, man? <laughs> that, was, that was all you. I have to ask, do your, do your jokes change? from, from um, Very slowly, very slowly. <laughs> I, I call it sticking message. That's what I call it. This is an important political lesson I'm imparting by not changing the jokes. Yeah, I do. Uh, in two weeks when my, when my Monday class meets again, uh, I am going to have them talk about Coney 2012. Uh, Coney 2012 <laughs> happened just before I joined GW, uh, like I, just before I joined the faculty. And now my students were like eight when it happened. It's just too good of a case. I'm not giving it up. I refuse to give it up. I'm going to have to put Comey 2012 in the, uh, the notes for the show, which is on, on peterloge.com slash podcast or on my Medium page, because... This is going to be one of those obscure cultural references that our listeners aren't going to get is Comey 2012. Half of our listeners are going to get, oh, Comey, wow, I remember that. That was, wow. And the other half are like, is that is that an indie band? Is that somebody who ran for president against Obama? Who's Comey? Right. I don't know that that app. I don't know that social media. It's been a wacky time. It's been a wacky. Welcome back to campus for the semester. It is exciting. And we've got, we've got a lot going on. I do want to say, by the way, I got an email this morning from a, a podcast called The Business of Politics that I was on um, a while ago. Uh, they, they sent an email saying, we're celebrating our first year. Um, send us your address so we can email you, so we can send you, send you a coffee mug celebrating our first year, which I think explains why we don't, we don't have guests because we don't have the budget for coffee mugs. I mean, let's get the budget for coffee mugs and then we can have guests, right? I think, I think that's how it works. So if any of you are listening who have deep pockets or medium pockets, shallowish pockets, let us let us know. We'll, uh, this is an expensive hobby. Although we've also, I can, I've got a C-SPAN mug I can give up. I was on C-SPAN, I get that mug. <laughs> yeah, what if we brought guests on and we just sent them random coffee mugs in each of our houses? Like I have too many coffee awesome. mugs, I could send them one. That would be awesome. That would be, that would be <laughs> yeah. very helpful. You want a heavily used Oberlin coffee mug? Come on the show. I like the C-SPAN coffee mug because it, it holds things, but I'm happy. I'll give that up if somebody wants to write me a check. I have several coffee mugs that I got from companies that no longer exist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume that's because they spent all of their money buying, buying coffee mugs. I feel like there's a lesson there. They're like handing out merch at conferences when they have no business model because that's what tech companies do. <laughs> so if you're a company... It has more money than brains. Sponsor office hours with Carp and Lunch. 
Uh, somebody's going to pay Alana, our producer. Thank you, Alana. Uh, to our listeners, follow us, rate us on Apple. We're stuck at 10, 10 ratings and we've got more listeners. Really, take the, take the 10 seconds. We need, we need affirmation from the void or from the abyss. We're into the abyss. I'm rambling. Or what are we talking our, about, Dave? I feel like we got to talk about Dark Brandon and Dark Brandon. That, that sweet, sweet student debt relief. Was there something in the Pobloxid he took? Like, that dude got COVID and he got awesome. <laughs> it's the it's a special radioactive kind. He can also shoot webs out of his palms now. He's not, yeah, he can. He's not doing that a lot in public. We're saving that for like closer to the reelect. He's uh, he's <laughs> calling the Republican Party semi-fascist while he's clinging to walls. Yeah, absolutely. It's called it's called the bitey sense. Yeah, yeah. Bitey sense. Bitey sense. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. <laughs> All right. So we want to talk about two things with student loans. One is a brief look at how we, we got here and then uh, a lot of how we, what happens next. Why don't we start, give us the rundown. How did this happen? Right. I, like when I came to GW 10 years ago, the idea that the like moderate democratic president, specifically the, the Joe, Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden who became president would do this would have seemed unfathomable. How do we get from there to here? You know, that's, that's a good question. And, and I don't know, but you, you and I talked about this before we went on. We've got to be careful to not speak too much about, about how this happened without, without a lot of knowledge of it. What I know is just from what I've been reading lately in the Washington Post and in the New Republic by one of the organizers uh, that I'll put again at and the medium page and on theorelois.com podcast, you can read these things. But it, my understanding is a couple of things came together that echo what we talked about um, when we talked about the climate change bill, the, the um, Inflation Reduction Act. The first is this, this took time, right? This was 10 years in the making. Advocacy is, is not a game for the impatient. I had a student last night asking in class, how long does a policy change like this take? And I said, you know, six to eight years is super fast. So 10 years is not surprising. The second is coming out of um, the, the Occupy Wall Street movement, which is what this arguably came out of. They built a lot of allies. So they built laterally, which I know you want to talk about in a second with Schott Schneider. There's the inside-outside game, which, which you and I have talked about in the past. There's a lot of outside grassroots pressure. There were, there were debt strikes. Um, students make a lot of noise. But there's also the inside game, getting elite supporters like Senator Warren, Senator Sanders. And then also there's just a lot of dumb luck. Like a lot of this, the, the couple of analyses I've read, which seems to make sense, is it's tied a lot to, to the pandemic and President Trump suspending student loan payments, mm -hmm. right? So it's effectively, wasn't canceling debt, but it's saying you don't have to pay this every month. We come out of that, it's much easier simply to keep that going, right? The process of inertia, rather than reinstituting, oh, all that time, you got to pay it back, right? There's a saying that you, it, you can't take away the donuts. Right. If somebody brings donuts to the office two Fridays in a row, they're the person who brings the donuts. They don't show up on week three with donuts and we're the donuts. Right. Like you haven't been paying your loans. You haven't been paying your loans. Oh, you've got to pay them all back now. It's much harder than you can simply continue to not pay them. Last mm -hmm. piece, though, which also I know you talked about the importance of with climate is celebrate the win. Use it as a basis for the next win. Right. They're saying this is great. $10,000 or $20,000 is fantastic. It's not nearly enough. We're going to mm -hmm. celebrate this win, a lot of hard work. Now let's get on to the next thing. No one in the movement publicly or loudly said, this isn't enough, we're holding out for absolute um, cancellation of all debt. Just as on climate, nobody said, no, 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 we're walking away from the deal. You take the win, you celebrate the win, you use it to build the next win. Those are the notes I've got. What do you think? So two, two things stand out to me. First of all, you can't take away the donuts 
is a really useful insight and is not a saying. What are you? Well, that's not a saying, man. What are you talking about? You just made that up. We just said it. So now it's a saying. It's going to catch on. The kids, this, the kids are going to use it on their comies. So this is a term that has definitely gotten coined today on this podcast that old man Loge thinks existed beforehand. We're going to put that's it on coffee mugs. We're going to put sure. it on the office hours of Carpenter's coffee mugs. Can't, can't take away the donuts. The second thing I want to note here is I don't think luck isn't, I think, quite the right frame. I think it's actually more about timing. And what I mean by that is in a 10-year campaign or in a 10-year window, what you want to understand is that you are building capacity. Like, yes, you're expanding the overturn window, though that concept, I think, gets a little overused. Um, but you, you are building movement capacity. You are expanding the realm of the possible. Of the possible and then you're waiting for moments that make things different, right? Like it's very easy for us to have lived in a world where uh, loans get paused under Trump because COVID, nobody could have seen the pandemic coming. But in like, it's not as though like six years ago, they're setting down a strategic plan, like, yeah, we're gonna build capacity. And then when a global pandemic strikes, that's when we're like, nobody's planning actively for that. But what you can plan for is capacity building. And the better job you do of capacity building, the better job you can then do of seizing unexpected moments. And yes, there's luck in that. Although it's, I mean, it's kind of a gallows luck to be like, yeah, we're so lucky we got COVID. Like, but it's more a matter of the better job you do of building capacity, the better job you can do seizing unexpected moments when they happen. Because the one thing we can certainly be confident about, particularly in American politics today, is that unexpected, weird, chaotic things will happen with increasing frequency. How do you position yourself when everything is chaos? You build capacity and then you act responsibly. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense there. So the moments are gonna happen. You've gotta be ready to seize the moment and you can't predict the moment. It's, it's I, I think it's, you, you have to, the moment has to strike when everything else falls into place, right? You've gotta be ready, the capacity has to be ready. And that for me is a bit of luck. And I also mm -hmm. like the idea of introducing luck into campaigns just because people get very consumed with how brilliant their their planning and implementation is well, like actually well actually the pandemic so that also mattered but this also speaks to something that i think is is um important and that's the notion of a policy entrepreneur right there's been some literature on this again i'll put in the notes that a lot of what makes people successful in politics in dc is knowing people and being able to see opportunities and build coalitions quickly being somebody who knows like i know a guy right oh hey there's a thing i need a pollster i need a I need somebody who knows about telecom. I need somebody who, and they trust you. They'll take your call or they'll come to a meeting. You put some social capital on the line. Hey, I'm out in front of this. Will you come and support me on this? Right. And then you can, when a moment comes up, says, aha, this is an interesting moment. I'm going to call three people, pull together this capacity, which has been built. I'm going to call the reporter I know who's interested in this, introduce them to the right people and get that top spinning in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think policy entrepreneur is, like it's a clever phrase that doesn't quite capture it, but it's the ability, it, it's social acumen, it's having networks, it's having enough knowledge, it's understanding comms enough that you can pull together the pieces and see the moments and connect the moment to the pieces. And that's, I think, a real is a real skill. So I, I think that's right. I think that's mostly part of the inside game. And I want to note, so that comes out of John Kingdon's work. Uh, he is an Oberlin alum, we should note. And I, I still teach that book, uh, and hell, I did my undergrad thesis about that about it forever ago. That's that's based on the studies of Congress in the 1970s and early 1980s. I think it's still a good framework for understanding the inside game. 
I do think particularly in a case like this, like the, the inside players never would have done this without that broader sense of the Democratic Party coalition has changed such that if we don't do this, in particular, if we make people start paying their loans again, if there is that moment where life gets worse for them because now they're going back to paying a big chunk of money that they weren't paying when Biden took office because it was, it was paused, that if we take that step, that's going to be hell within the party coalition. It's going to be bad for our voters. It's going to be bad for the mass American public. And it's also going to lead to fractures within the party coalition that are terrible for us. Without that, that movement making it clear through the outside game that shit's going to go real bad for you if, if you let that happen. I don't think there's any, I mean, seeing like Jason Furman and a lot of the other uh, Democratic Party economists complaining about how this isn't what they would have done in the aftermath just makes it real clear to me that if it was just a policy entrepreneur game, we never would have gotten here. So I think there's two things, right? One, I think is thing to help us do the forward look. The first is more has been done on policy entrepreneurship since Kingdon. There's some more recent research on the complexity of policy entrepreneurship, and it's much more nuanced, right? I think Kingdom was that also that. by Oberlin people? Because if not, I don't care. <laughs> you, you, you don't care. It, everything, as I understand it, political science stopped when you when you graduated, except for what you write. That's my- No, it, it didn't stop when I graduated. It continued amongst other Oberlin alumni. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, I see. You're, you're like this sensate of political science. You're somehow psychically connected as a different species. The uh, more recent work on, on policy entrepreneurship points to more the, the importance of social acuity and being able to tie people and moments together because the inside out game is more complicated now than it was when you and I were coming up because of social media, because of just better organizing, um, mm -hmm. diffusion of media, hybrid media, all these sorts of things. But you still need people with the ability to make the phone call, connect the pieces and to see the moments and connect the pieces to the moments. Sure. I think that isn't. I don't think that's changed. And, yeah. and I think that's huge. I think that's actually probably getting more important because the spaces are getting more complicated and the ability to sort of think laterally and be enterprising laterally matters a huge amount. But this also then points to something else, which is the forward look, um, which is the messaging coming out of it, right? Not only will there be hell to pay because apparently Republicans hate people who make coffee is what I've learned, all this bashing on baristas. And I think if somebody's <laughs> handing me coffee, so we, should, we should hand them like medals and like throw them parades for giving me coffee. But a lot of the student loan debt that's gonna be forgiven is not held by over alumni. It's held by people who never finished college, who went to private college, scam private colleges in the for-profit ones. Um, people went to community college for a couple of semesters and dropped out. And those are people whose bills are gonna jump. And those are people who are part of the democratic coalition that aren't in the press, but are absolutely vital to win in 22 and 24 and, and going forward. So you've put a lot of thought into this, um, or at least more than I have. What's the messaging going into the midterms and 24 on, on student loan debt? I mean, let, let's set 24 aside because it's too far away and it's going to depend, it's going to be too contingent on so many other things. Thank um, you for saying that because I'm really tired of the 2024 hot takes already. Yeah, my God. Like everybody just put it on hold. You can say it in January. It's fine. Right. Pre-write um, your broker convention articles now. Because you're gonna write them and they're gonna be nonsense, but you may as well bang them out now. Let's focus yeah, so on 22. The one exception is if people want to use 2024 as a lens to make fun of Andrew Yang, 
that's fine because all the making fun of Andrew Yang is by definition fine. With those high, with, with those high fiving high school students with the tears in their eyes. Yes, we want a third party. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Yang. So the thing that I found really interesting here was the use of the White House Twitter account to just outright troll Republicans, um, just stating like each Republican complaining about this, stating here's the amount that you got in PPP loans that were then that whose debt was then forgiven, which was an audacious mood move. It, it led to a bunch of Republicans crying and crying about it. I pointed out to my students yesterday, one of the great things about that is it adds another two days onto the news cycle about this, right? Like instead of them doing a thing and then a few days later, we're back to focusing on Mar-a-Lago, they relieved between 10 and $20,000 in student debt. And then there was the outcry about it. Then there was the coverage of how the White House was responding to the outcry. Then there was the coverage of, oh my God, was that appropriate of the White House? You just added two more news cycles all of which are focused on the Democrats are here to ho- help working people as opposed to helping Wall Street, helping the, help, helping the rich. I think that there are actually, there are two parts of that. One is you keep the, lo- the, the, the debt forgiveness news cycle going, but the other is you point out just the, the blinding hypocrisy of a lot of these, you know, MAGA far-right Republicans and their TPP loans, right? So the, the National Review had a headline, uh, somehow attacking Biden or pointing out that a bunch of Republicans got loans that were then forgiven when he was asked about student debt relief, which means like, like, yes, he did point out that a bunch of your party who rail against things like government bailouts and probably voted against a bunch of this stuff are now getting hundreds of thousands of dollars forgiven, while at the same time, Biden is also helping their constituents who got railroaded by, by for-profit universities and are saving them $10,000. Like these are somehow Biden made the National Review make two pro-Biden arguments in one headline. Are you going to make me well actually in favor of the Republicans here? <laughs> well, actually. Oh my God, folks, season three is getting good. Into the abyss. Here's my well actually. <laughs> it is true that... The point of the PPP loans was, hey, we're going to pay you to not fire your workers while you shut stuff down, and these loans will be forgiven. So like the thing they're railing about is those loans were designed to be forgiven. People took them. They got forgiven. That's not true for student loans. It's different. Now, strategically, the reason why this is great is, first of all, a lot of those PPP loans went to rich people who weren't running small businesses. They weren't like, it was poorly administered because shocker, the Trump administration didn't administer something well and ended up having it just be full graft and corruption, you know, news at 11. But set, like setting that part aside, the thing that's great about this is it delivers, it keeps on repeating the message of, yeah, you're fine with rich people getting government money and then having those loans forgiven. And you think it's a problem, you think it's an outrage when that happens to working steps. So like that core message is great. And it's it's amplified because yeah, like the, they have a little bit, just like a smidge of a point there where these two things are kind of different, but only a little bit different and in a way that really makes our point. Like it's not, it's not just rich people, it's, it's rich members of Congress. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. of you people who don't think you know, hardworking single moms who couldn't afford to finish community college or a four-year college shouldn't get a, a loan forgiven 
when right. you were promised a loan that was forgiven, you know, you, you know, Republican representative from, from wherever. Yeah, it raises the question like, sorry, Matt Gates, what, what company with payroll were you running as a member of Congress that needed all of that PPP money? Because that sounds pretty scammy with nobody complaining about it. Right. So in that sense, it's great. So I'm surprised because like you're more normal sauce centrist than I am most of the time, let's say. Normal I'm sauce, normal sauce centrist. That's, that's another thing we're coining, normal sauce centrist. Don't take <laughs> away the donuts. I'm normal sauce centrist. See you there next we week. Go. So I, I, I'm a little, I, I thought that there was a chance that you would be looking at that use of the White House Twitter account and saying, that, that's, that's maybe going a little too hard. You love it? I'm, I'm all about going hard. Just do it in ways that attack issues, that ad hominem attacks, like that attacks have to be relevant, that don't undermine democratic institutions. I'm all about playing hard. Carp play hard, play, play and hard, Loge. Carp and Loge, the angel and the devil are both agreeing. Dark Brandon, keep it up. Keep trolling. Keep yeah. trolling. I've always been a play hard, play fair kind of a guy. Like I, I, you know, I play soccer a couple of times and, a week. I'm in favor of the first half of that. Play hard. <laughs> See, that's, and that's, that's the difference yeah, between us. Right, right. So how do you, so messaging, one of the interesting things I do think about, about messaging from here through, through the midterms is moving away from the, you know, barista with a PhD in medieval Italian dance history is interpreted by the Swiss or something to where a lot of this debt is actually held. And that's by, by people who, who couldn't afford to finish by the, um, the scam for-profit colleges, things like that. Like that, that to me, it seems like that is where the messaging needs to go if the Democrats are gonna to continue to win this argument because otherwise it's simply too easy for Ted Cruz and the rest. Ted Cruz, whose advice to get rid of your student loans is get elected to the Senate, write a bestseller, and then have a bunch of people buy it because they wanna suck up to you as Senator. I know it's Rubio it, said that one. It's Rubio, Rubio, Rubio. Sorry, the other, right, sorry. Um, just uh, anyway, 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 it seems to be like it's it's just it's really easy to paint the caricature of the the overprivileged small private college kid when the the truth when a, another story that I think ought to be told which politically ought to be told is you know community college people who couldn't afford to finish the scam colleges how do you how do you make that argument? I mean, I think look over the next couple months. I think it's going to be a zo zooming out a bit because I think what we're going to start heading into is wow, these Republicans are nut bars and they're still obsessed with de defending their like hero savior, Donald Trump. Because Trump, I mean, particularly with Mar a Lago and everything, and I think there'll be more January 6th hearings, like Trump is going to try to make this about himself. So you have the contrast of that with a sort of old school, hey, aren't you doing a lot better than two years ago? Like, we're, like inflation is now trending downward. The better economic news is shining through more now that it's not all inflation all the time. Um, and I think the student loan part fits in with, you know what? Democrats are here to build an economy that works for the American people. And two years in, you know, there's been some rough spots, of course, throughout, but two years in, it's working. Like, where you're better off than you were two years ago. Look at what the, our opponents are saying and doing. Like it's Mehmet Oz and like and uh, like Blake, what's his name in, in Arizona? Masters. Um, 
yeah, Blake Masters, look at the other guys and then also continuing to talk a lot about abortion. Like it is noteworthy that over the past few weeks, Blake Masters and a bunch of the rest of them have suddenly decided just not to have, uh, to just scrub their websites of any language about abortion because they're realizing that, you know what, like women in particular, but also just most of the country, really pissed about stepping back 50 years in history. So if you're going to beat the, the fundamental dynamics, which say most of the time the incumbent party is going to do poorly in these circumstances, and when you add on shitty gerrymanders still make the house nearly impossible to keep, when you, when you start from that context, the thing that makes it diff different is, I think, big picture talk about, you know what, we're actually excited about what's been accomplished over the past two years, and the things that we're pissed about are things that Republicans in the Supreme Court have been doing. And so we're going to push back on that by increasing Democratic majorities. I think you talk big instead, instead of talking details. I, th I think that's right. But then you can talk about the details, I think, to fill in the picture, right? So the Republicans are much chaos monkeys mm -hmm. who think the rules don't apply to them. You know, um, Democrats, meanwhile, are working for working families and they trust you, mm -hmm. right? Democrats are saying, you know what? If you, you couldn't afford college, you took out a bunch of loans. It fell through. You couldn't afford it. We're going to forgive that to let you actually get back, you know, on track to be, be a successful middle class family. Um, we want to bring down prescription drug prices. Republicans keep voting to keep drug prices high. We want to make make this system work for working families. Republicans want to keep making it work for rich people. We think the Supreme Court shouldn't be making decisions about you and your doctor. We trust you. Mm -hmm. The Republicans don't trust you. They trust the Supreme Court more than they trust you. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you know, they're, they're whining about $10,000 loans to hardworking families while getting $100,000 loans of their own wiped out. Mm -hmm. They're getting investigated for obstruction of justice and espionage. You know, they're walking around. They, they, they want your, they think the bigger threat, they think Disney World and libraries are a bigger threat to your children than semi-automatic weapons. Come on. Yeah, I think that drumbeat works. I also think there's, I think there's a temporal thing of um, Democrats believe that the government can work for, can work well and work for working people. Republicans want to take the government back fifty years. I think, like, I, th I, th I, I, I think, I think works in the future. Or are you dragging us back fifty years? See, I think a lot of people that were nostalgic for the past are always, always really nostalgic for the, for the eternally nostalgic for the past. Not on, not on a board. I mean, like the fifty years point. I mean, maybe you language messaged a little better to make sure it's clear that we're talking about abortion but like like because you don't want to lose abortion from your messaging when you're talking about other things because it is such an out like the wrecking the status quo and dragging us back 50 like the the dragging us back 50 years in terms of wrecking a status quo that we had and we appreciated and has been ripped away i think has to remain front and center and you got to partner like pair that with outside of the things that the supreme court has do, has decided by judicial fiat to render impossible we're making this government function again that's good let's keep doing it i think you well, need to pair those two things i think you can do that by like moving forward versus moving back i think you can do moving forward i think definitely moving on let's like let's move past this moment like let's get we're getting through this moment together we're going to get through it as a country if working people are allowed to work hard and work their way up the system I think Republicans want to go back to a time where we had a country for the privileged and for the elites, mm -hmm. uh, a set of rules that apply to the rich and the powerful. And what Democrats want to do is keep moving in a direction where the rules apply to everybody.
Mm -hmm. Right. And they think the court should be able to take away your rights. Well, we all know that in the real world, if you got money, you got access. We think that's unfair. We think that whether or not you have rights or access to exercise your rights shouldn't depend on how much money you have or who you know. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you can afford to go to college shouldn't depend on whether or not, you know, grandpa had a big house and some stock portfolio, right? We think that whether or not you, ought to, you can afford the medicine you need to take care of yourself or your kids or your parents shouldn't depend on whether or not you're a stockbroker, mm -hmm. right? Republicans vote to, are voting to make college more, less accessible, to make drugs more expensive while they are taking away your rights. College less accessible and insulin less affordable. There you go. Yeah. Write that down. That's another coffee mug. That's a terrible coffee mug. They want insulin to be less affordable on a coffee mug. It's a big coffee mug. A big coffee mug. I'm just going to put this out there to our listeners. If somebody wants to help with branding, my distinct uh, partner here is terrible at it. Like an umbrella. Be the whole thing. Like a narrative. Be. Because we're running out of time, things we can't talk about Elon Musk. Elon Musk is still going to get his ass handed to him by the Delaware Chancery Court. And I'm going to eat so much popcorn. It did get interesting this week because there's a whistleblower at Twitter uh, who is not actually supporting Elon's case, but at the very least making a new case that uh, there's an awful lot wrong with Twitter as a company. And even if it wasn't doing the things that Elon claimed it was doing with bots, uh, it was fundamentally unsafe in ways that make you want to burn it to the ground. Still, Elon, shut up. <laughs> we promised Elon Musk when we were teasing the episode, we got Elon Musk. What are you looking for in the next two weeks and what do you plug in? I mean, so next two weeks, I'm curious to see what's going to come out of Biden's speech on what, on Thursday? And just in general, the challenge for Democrats right now is how do you keep the good vibes going for the next couple of months? Right. Like it's, a, it's still a long time, a lot of news cycles between now and Election Day. So what's the next thing for Dark Brandon? I was joking with some people on Twitter. A couple of people on Twitter were saying after student loans, like, look, man, if you want to win in November, legalize pot federally right now. And my response was, this is not the time to legalize pot. October 1st is the time to legalize pot. So Brian, like the question is, how do you keep the vibes going? So I want to see for the next two weeks, what are the things that they can do to keep the, that energy up to keep the pressure on? What about you? I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of news cycles between here and there, and that's really important to remember. I think one of the things I'm looking for in the speech, I think it's an important speech, as you know, I'm a strong believer in democratic institutions. If, this will, if the White House is talking about threats to democracy and Mar, what a mess, local candidates don't have to. Local candidates can keep, keep the messaging we were talking about. So while Biden makes the critical case that Republicans are just a bunch of anti-democratic chaos monkeys, Democrats on the ground can make the case for student loan forgiveness, prescription drug prices, things like that. So I'm looking for that. That's kind of my big, my big thing, but there are a couple of things I do want to, I do want to flag that, that, that caught my attention in the news that we're not gonna have time to talk about, sadly, so we're already over time. Uh, one is Finland's partying prime minister. I would have loved to have been the press secretary who got the call saying, hey, as a heads up, this video is going viral. Thought you want to know. I would love, I would love that call. There was also the, the Guardian. I, which I is do want to just state, I said this on Twitter, but I want to state for the record. Uh, I find it really offensive that they're 
uh, I think 36 year old prime minister is attending parties that a 36 year old should really be way too old to attend. She's in such better shape and having so much more fun than I was at age 36. And on one level, good for her. And I see nothing wrong with it, except why, why aren't you aging as fast as I was? <laughs> It's really everybody's angry because they're bitter. A 36-year-old should be at home watching Netflix after a long, tiring day. Come on. I yeah, it's uh yeah. And, but the other thing, the other thing that, that, that caught my attention was I don't know if you saw this in The Guardian. Apparently, scientists um discovered there's a creature, an ancient, really ancient creature with one orifice. So it, it eats and defecates through the same orifice. And for for a number of years, um, they thought it was it was connected genetically to, to mankind, but good news, apparently man did not evolve from an ancient single orifice animal, which I think is kind of a win for mankind. Where You're substacking and tweeting. Where can people find you substacking and tweeting? Well, so, substacking a lot and trying to do at least one a week, uh, davecarp.substack.com and also on the Twitters at Dave Carp. How about you? I am uh, uh, peterloge.com slash podcast for all the podcast notes also on medium and on twitter at p-l-o-g-e follow us rate us like us tell your friends sponsor us and just gotta buy, buy all the coffee mugs like us somebody has to <laughs> another coffee mug we have so much merch <laughs> bye folks <laughs>